Thank you so much for joining us today for Barry Dunn's quarterly In the Know podcast, a series focused on the financial services industry, current trends, and hot topics. My name is David Stone, and I'm joined by Susan Weber. Susan, welcome. So happy to have you here today and to continue this In the Know conversation. Well, hi, David. It's great to be here. And in keeping with the holiday, I think we have all sorts of treats for our listeners today, right? Everything (laughs) from the quarterly banking profile, any sort of accounting updates. Uh, The economy certainly has been in the news lately, so we'll chat about that. Maybe we'll dabble in overdraft and junk fees, that whole battle that's continued to rage this this year. Uh, Climate change and ESG is definitely on the radar. And maybe we can have some time for some fintech news in there, too. Um, So... Whole sort of fun topics today. <laughs> That's it. We have a lot on the, the agenda. It's action packed, right? End of year action packed. So let's Love jump it. right on in. So, David, the FDIC recently issued its third quarter banking profile. So, any trends there that's that are worth noting? Yeah, sure. It was an interesting quarter for sure, which in and of itself seems to be the trend for this year. <laughs> um, we had some new quarterly banking profile records set. Uh, we also saw the continuance of some trends that we we really haven't seen for a couple of years. Oh, really? Like what? Well, the, the big one that comes to mind is net interest margins, which okay. rose for the second straight quarter. Um, and this is great because, you know, for several previous years, they'd been declining. Oh, yeah. Um, so for community banks specifically, net interest margins increased 32 basis points from the year ago quarter mm-hmm. and 30 basis points from second quarter of this year. Um, well, that's a, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, def, definitely a, a good trend. That's awesome. Well, what happened with net income, though? Uh, and I guess I'm thinking specifically for uh, community banks. Sure, sure. So community banks saw their quarterly net income increase 13.5% from second quarter 22. And this was primarily driven by that net interest income. So really going hand in hand with that increase seen in net interest margins. Um, However, however, that 13.5% net income increase was somewhat offset by increases in both non-interest expense uh, and provisions for credit losses, as well as a decrease in non-interest income. Well, I seem to recall the last time we uh, had a podcast, our last quarter podcast, we were talking about unrealized losses. That was a big hot topic. Um, what are you seeing there? Anything anything new or different there? Yeah, so un- unfortunately, the unrealized loss picture got a little bleaker in quarter three. Mm. Uh, you know, unrealized losses on securities, they continue to climb. Uh, increasing almost 21 billion for the quarter to reach 76.1 billion total. Um, this this doesn't necessarily have any bearing on net income, but you know it's certainly a trend that we continue to watch, and, and you know we hear clients continuing to to talk about with boards and and those charged with governance. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned earlier that there were some new records that were set in the third quarter. Um, you want to care to elaborate on which ones? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should, right? <laughs> Holding you accountable there, David. <laughs> I, I want to know promises, promises. So what were yep. those records? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the records I alluded to were the non-current rate and the coverage ratio, which would certainly go hand in hand. Um, the non-current rate hit a quarterly banking profile 
record low in quarter three of 47 basis points. And then on on the flip side, uh, the coverage ratio hit an all time high of 263.4%. And just to provide some reference here, data collection for these rates began 38 years ago, back in 1984. Well, I can only speak for myself, but in 1984, I was definitely not paying attention to the non-current rate and the coverage ratio. <laughs> you, you and me both, Susan. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we continue to see record low delinquencies, too, which is helping drive up that record high coverage ratio. Um, we did see a one basis point increase in reportable delinquency to 32 basis points. But for perspective, that remains well below the pre-pandemic 55 basis point average. So all in all, really okay um, as we are coming in on the end of the year. Uh, what about any accounting standard updates? Is there anything there worth noting? Yeah, there haven't been any significant accounting standards finalized since we last chatted, but but I do recall mentioning um, one in the works regarding tax equity investments and the accounting for such. And um, that accounting standard, it is still in its proposed form. Uh, FASB is, is also still working on additional guidance on common control leases. I think I had mentioned that last time as well. And again, you know, this likely won't be significant significant to financial institutions, but it very well may be for some of their commercial borrowers. So I think it's definitely worth keeping keeping an eye on it. <clears throat> In the FASB, they did propose um, or, or issued a proposed ASU that would provide a practical expedient that would allow private companies uh, and not for profits. So, so not public entities, it's just for private companies and not-for-profits uh, to use the written terms and conditions of an arrangement between entities under common control. So keep that in mind. It's, it's only for common control leases. Okay. Um, and this is rather than on the basis of legally enforceable terms and conditions. Um, so this proposed ASU, it also makes some targeted changes to the accounting for leasehold improvements within common control leases. Um, so nothing's been finalized, but I thought it's worth notice, uh, you know, noting that these two ASUs are in process, ones we're closely watching, and you know, we'll certainly provide updates and and you know, dive into these ASUs a little more once they are finalized. Well, I think it's always really helpful to know that you are watching and prepared for what's coming at us in the future. <laughs> <laughs> One less that, thing I have to worry about. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that's my thing, Susan. That's you know, it's, it's kind of sad to see it you know, being such a quiet quarter on the on the accounting standard <laughs> front, which a lot of people probably can't say that. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right. So so, you know, the the state and direction of the economy continues to be hotly debated. Um, Susan, you want to you want to jump in the ring here? Any thoughts to share? <laughs> Uh, no, I really don't. No. <laughs> I mean, honestly, what a gift it would really be if everything just stabilized over the next few weeks, right? I mean, it, ugh, it sure just, would. Sure would. It just would. Um, it has been and remains very confusing, I think, for most people. Every month, you know, some indicators, some economic indicators improve while others seem to get worse. Uh, but we did get two key updates recently. Um, the, the first one, uh, the most recent one, uh, the FOMC or the Federal Open Market Committee held its mid December meeting. 
and um, pretty expectedly uh, raised interest rates again, although this time 50 basis points, not the 75 they've been doing the last several times. Um, you know, I think generally the markets expected that um, level of increase, uh, but I do think that in general, uh, the state of economy and any move that the Fed makes at this point is just hotly debated. Um, along with that, there were some uh, changes in some of their forecasting metrics. I, I guess the two that I would mention is um, a slight adjustment in uh, projected economic growth, just 0.5% in 2023. Um, and then picking up in 24. And then the median projection for unemployment um, went to 4.6%, um, up from 4.4 in September. So definitely anticipating some continued pain um, and stress next year, uh, although I think the jury's still out on on the extensiveness of that. Sure, sure. Now, now you mentioned two key updates. I want to I wanna gander a guess here on, on the second one. Okay. Um, <laughs> is it... November beige book, possibly. Oh, ding, ding, ding. That's it. No, <laughs> no coal in your stocking, David. Yeah, that's it. Published <laughs> published uh, on the 30th of November. So the opening quote was this, right? And I and I brought it because I, I had to read it. It just struck me so funny. Economic activity was about flat or up slightly since the previous report down from the modest average pace of growth in the prior beige book period. I don't know about you, but I read those things and I'm like, so are we good or are we not good? It's clear as mud. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a little confusing there. Yeah, it sure, it sure is. But basically, I think what it's saying is growth was about average and now it's less so, right? But the news isn't all bad. So New England is covered by the Boston Fed update, which basically said the same thing. Uh, essentially, despite some pockets of high demand, business activity was generally down and results were mixed. I picture a giant seesaw, right? When my sister and I were little, we'd go back and forth for a while, but then we'd always try to balance it right in the middle. And I think that's generally what is missing right now at the moment, right? Is that balance in the middle. And uh, we're still in that phase. I, I love that. That that painted a great picture. So thank you for that. And uh, <laughs> sure. there, there just there doesn't seem to be a clear picture ahead, does there? No, and I think the uncertainty is really troubling um, to so many people. The Boston Fed update indicated most expect at least some short recession in 2023. I think we see that a, a little bit in the FOMC forecast update. Um, an article published by the American Bankers Association in November summarized a recent bank rate survey of U.S. adults indicating that more than half have delayed major purchases like homes and cars, and almost 60% have opted out of things that cost money like vacations and entertainment. I was actually surprised by that trend. Um, you know, up here this summer, you know, you wouldn't have known it, um, th that kind of thing. But I, I think the recent run on Taylor Swift concert tickets alone probably would debate that <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, so some of those ticket prices were, she's crazy. <laughs> I know, right? I would, I would need a loan for some of them. Um, <laughs> And that, that probably nicely leads to one last point I, I want to mention here, and, and that is that the annual report released in November by the Financial Stability Board, uh, their report highlighted the risks posed by the buildup of debt outside the financial sector, right? Trends like buy now, pay later, uh, which could ultimately weaken any borrower's ability to repay debt held traditionally by banks, uh, sort of like a domino effect. So in terms of the economy, sounds like we're still on edge going into 2023. Is that, that safe to say? Yes. And uh, on the edge of our seats, I think. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe a bumpy ride ahead, right? Strap in. Yeah, yeah. 
So there seems to be no shortage of things to worry over. I almost hate to do this at the end of the year, but along those lines, I want to switch gears a little bit. And, you know, David, maybe talk about another loaded topic, overdrafts. Oh, oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We seem to have a bit of aggression playing out. That's my word, not anybody else's. But uh, I mean, it has been and continues to be really heated between the various associations and and the CFPB. And then in November, we had this Twitter exchange, right, this odd Twitter exchange between uh, President Biden, or at least his account, and the American Bankers Association. That's right. And I, I happen to have it right here. Let me let me pull it up. So yeah, mid-November, <laughs> President Biden's Twitter account stated, and, and this is a, a direct quote, unfair hidden fees known as junk fees take real money out of the pockets of American families. Things like banking overdraft fees and excessive credit card late fees, they add up. My administration is making it clear that they're illegal. Ooh. And then um, and, and the, I have the, the response from ABA here as well. Uh and this is also a direct quote, respectfully, Mr. President, the CFPB sets the allowable amount for credit card late fees, and they are, like overdraft fees, highly regulated and fully disclosed to consumers by law. Wow. I can certainly appreciate the ABA's comments about regulation and disclosure. Yeah, we're we're hearing lots of frustration within the industry, you know, with the perspective being the majority of banks are not only following the regulations set for overdraft fees, but they're also clearly disclosing them. And, you know, there, there was a wave of larger banks who made headlines, I, I believe it was last year, uh, mm-hmm. by eliminating some of these fees. Um, but the discussion continues and it, it certainly creates a lot of anxiety. Is there any call to action here? Where do we see this sort of playing out? Yeah, great, great question. Um, we're hearing this come up in management and conference discussions for sure. And, you know, the ABA, as we just, uh, you know, provided an example of, has been very active and vocal about trying to hold people accountable for misinformation and undue characterization. So, Mm. you know, perhaps getting engaged in the discussions and legislative agendas um, of the state associations is the best first step. That, that's what I would think. That's a really great point, David. You know, it, it, this really is as much a broader industry issue um, than, than uh, you know, a particular bank, you know, issue. Uh, no, no one bank is really under fire here. So yeah. lending your voice and support is an action that every banker can really take. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, so, Susan, let's let's jump to the <laughs> next topic, uh, you know, just as fun and exciting ESG. So environmental, social and governance. Mm-hmm. It seems like everywhere I turn, there's more information on this topic. Uh, what's the latest buzz and what does it mean for financial institutions? Yes, uh, absolutely. And to quickly level set, if folks listening are not familiar with ESG, please uh, do some research. This is a very significant topic that will uh, potentially affect every industry in some way. Uh, We have a good overview article on the Barry Dunn website, which we'll make sure to provide a link to in the podcast description. Um, But for today's discussion, I'd highlight maybe a few things. The the timeline and who we're watching for setting standard disclosures and what's happening on the financial institution regulatory front. the first big, the big focus first anyway, is climate change and climate risk. Um, December 
into January are key months. Um, it's when we're sort of expecting some new climate disclosure standards uh, to be announced from both the international and U.S.-based authorities um, that are charged with this, so namely the ISSB or International Sustainability Standards Board and the SEC or the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. So large public companies, including banks, operating domestically and abroad, I'm assuming will be impacted? Yes, that's exactly uh, what we're watching now. And we're particularly watching the ISSB because while their climate standard draft is due in December, uh, members are looking at a whole host of related topics for future changes. For example, a recent agenda paper spoke about biodiversity, including nature-related issues, the way organizations manage their employees, and human rights disclosures. And there's an alphabet soup of organizations lining up to act essentially as working groups to write the detailed rules around the standards that the ISSB sets. So it seems clear that while the standards may start with climate or the E environmental, um, more is going to follow in order to comprehensively cover the S and the G of ESG. And, and we also expect that while this may affect the bigger companies initially, it will likely filter to mid-sized and small companies, including banks, in the future. Um, in the meantime, we also expect that approved standards would certainly apply to any companies and banks of all sizes who elect to start disclosing the information now, you know, to do it in a uniform way. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, and since we're on the topic of disclosures, this will likely affect the way audits and assurance work are conducted in the future, I would suspect. I would suspect too, too, you know, exactly why it's important to stay on top of the developments in this area. Um, you know, the jury's still out. Some people think it's just going to, you know, flash and burn out and, you know, nothing will come of it. Um, uh, you know, I think with anything major like this, you sort of take a step forward and two steps back. So I I, I think that there's uh, momentum here, but that's just my personal opinion. Um, but I think it's important to stay on top of these developments so that it doesn't catch you by surprise. And, and I guess I'll mention one more and that is financial institution regulations, right? So while there are no new supervisory regulations to date, I, I think the momentum is definitely there, or at least the framework is being is becoming. Um, yeah. The OCC earlier this year, right, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency put climate change on their supervisory agenda and then created and quickly filled a new position called the Chief Climate Officer. Um, the OCC has been vocal about their need for discussing and including, you know, climate change and overall financial and risk management practices. Um, some even are, are thinking about scenario testing. And of course, whenever I think scenario testing for climate risk, I start to think about loss predictions. So I get mm, Cecil yep. wrapped up in this in some <laughs> way, shape or form. I had to go there. Um, and then and, and the FDIC has not yet officially placed climate change on its agenda, but is under some pressure now to do so. So sounds like we'll have more on this topic to share in our podcast in 2023. I think we definitely will, David. <laughs> um, and as we close out today's discussion, what do you have for us in terms of news and trends in fintech? Sure, sure. So on the fintech front, the U.S. Department of the Treasury uh, released a report stating that fintech firms are creating new risks to consumer protection and market integrity. Uh, and they went on to say that while fintechs can speed up technological innovation and advancement, they pose increased risks because they are not subject to the same rules and oversight related to, you know, for example, data privacy. So some really great technology, but maybe playing it a little loose with protecting consumer information. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the Treasury is strongly recommending the regulatory agencies create a new supervisory framework for these bank and fintech relationships, really making it clear that they're subject to the same consumer protection laws um, and how they expect to supervise this going forward. So more supervisory oversight may be coming for fintechs, at least when banks are involved is what I'm hearing. And it'll be interesting to see what the regulators do next and what effect it may have on these relationships in the future. Absolutely. I, I think there's a lot to learn from fintechs. You know, they're they're largely known as being agile organizations that have led the charge, you know, in alternative payment structures such as buy now, pay later and, and the P2P payment services. Mm -hmm. You know, those are just two examples of technologies traditional banks are taking notice of. Um, but I think the lesson here is that any partnership with a fintech or even the adoption of technologies that are traditionally associated with a fintech need to be done mindfully um, with a regulatory landscape really front of mind. Well, it's a good reminder, I think, to leverage the best of what you both bring to the relationship, right? The agility and innovation balanced, I'm back to that seesaw again, right? Balanced with <laughs> consumer protection and risk management best practices. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Susan. And, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We've covered a lot of content today and mm -hmm. you know so certainly if there's any questions please you know don't hesitate to reach out to Susan or I directly um, or reach out via our ask the advisor feature on our website uh, happy holidays happy new year you know from the Barry Dunn family to yours we really do wish you all the best and hope you'll tune in to our next in the know podcast <laughs>